0: The next guy we're gonna talk to worked with President Obama and ruined everything. Uh, joining us now is Adam Conover. Uh, he's the host of Adam Ruins Everything on HBO Max and now his new show on Netflix, The G Word. Adam,
1: welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jenk. Uh, no problem. Uh, so Adam, what's The G Word? So the G word is a new comedy documentary series that uh, I created and host all about the incredible ways the US government affects our lives. In ways that you might find surprising both good and very, very bad.
0: Indeed, in fact, there's some controversy cuz you did it with uh, Barack Obama, uh, his production company and you covered things that Obama didn't do well. We're gonna get to that in a second, but uh, since (laughs) it's about the government, I. Uh, want everybody to make sure that they know that it's actually a super fun show. Okay, so I'm gonna show you guys a part of the trailer here uh, so you can see it for yourself. Let's watch.
1: Our government is supposed to be of the people, by the people, for the people. So shouldn't we, the people, understand what the hell it actually does? Government is practically a dirty word in America, and if you don't believe me, try bringing it up on Thanksgiving investigate all the ways, good and bad, the government affects our lives.
0: Hello, is it question
1: time? I have some concerns. One out of every 16 workers in America is employed by the federal government. They shape every aspect of our lives. Welcome to the GPS Operations Center. So the entire GPS constellation is run by these 10 people. How old are you? 20 years old. Okay. When I was 20 years old, I was a Dumbass man, I couldn't have been through this. Do you trust the government? They're <laughs> a superpower, the biggest, baddest mother <laughs> in the world. The more I learn, the more questions I have.
0: All right, now I have some questions. Um, okay, <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with hurricanes. Um, what yeah. did you learn about hurricanes from our government?
1: So uh, what I didn't realize until we started researching the show and until I did it myself, is that every time that you are watching the Weather Channel or any other weather broadcaster during hurricane season, you see that cyclone off the coast of Florida and it says here's where the hurricane is going. The only reason they have that data to begin with is that while you are watching, A hurricane hunter plane from either the Air Force or NOAA, that's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, is flying through the hurricane, directly through it. And then flying out the other end, going back and turning around and doing it again, over and over again. And then when that plane lands, another plane takes off and does the same thing. And the reason they do that is that's the only way to get a precise fix on where the exact center of the hurricane is. And to get ground truth on all the atmospheric conditions. And on the show, we tagged along with them and flew into a hurricane. We actually had to do it twice because the first time the footage didn't turn out so well, one of the most nauseating uh, shooting experiences I've ever had, but really incredible. So they fly
0: through hurricanes all the time and nobody gets killed. That's kind of incredible. (laughs)
1: Yeah, no, I mean it's it's true it's amazing what these planes can put up with. They have to be turboprop planes because jet engines, you know, will fail inside a storm that size. Um but you know, the the government's do, been doing it since about the 40s. They've never lost a plane. Uh I'm pretty sure a lot of people have thrown up. They have a stack of barf bags this big on these planes. Um but yeah, I mean there are literal people working for our federal government who that is their job. And we also went to speak to the folks of the National Hurricane Center who then analyzed that data and make the recommendations that everyone follows. You know, when uh, to tell a governor when they need to evacuate an area and et cetera. So the purpose of this show is to show all of these functions the government performs that we don't normally think of, uh, but that really make life in America possible. And to maybe make us ask, hey, if we actually empowered the government to take care of us in other ways, what else could it do?
0: Okay, so the minute I'm having a conversation about we have to fly this kind of engine through the hurricane because the other kind of engine would have us crash and all die. I'm out, but okay, but I'm glad to hear that there's (laughs) government officials willing to take that risk. Um, So Adam, what were some of the things that you learned that you didn't know the government did? Where you thought, does everybody know this? Like if the whole country knew this, they might actually respect the
1: government a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, the biggest example of this is GPS. I didn't know until one of our researchers in our writer's room brought it to me that our entire GPS service is run and was invented by the US government. It took them 50 years to develop the technology, to launch all the satellites, to miniaturize it, and to finally open it up to the public. And you know, it's one of the most transfer- transformational inventions of my lifetime. And you know, uh, it generates $1.4 trillion for the economy every year. Countless businesses like Apple, Google, Uber, Tinder have been built on the back of it but those companies tend to take the credit right you know google tends to to take the credit for google maps when it weren't when what when the truth is if it weren't for massive taxpayer investment <laughs> that wouldn't exist to begin with and you know it makes you ask like maybe these companies shouldn't work so hard to get out of paying their taxes right if it's actually us the public who have made them possible in the first place
0: yeah uh, i mean they wouldn't have had Google in the first place if Al Gore hadn't invented the internet, so that they should be doubly thankful. No, but seriously guys, the, he, Adam is 100% right. Uh, the government also did basically invent the internet, not Al Gore, but the government. Uh, the government invents most of the patents that we know that the drug companies then take credit for. And A- Adam, now let's talk about the criticism of the government, because there that's sure. one. Uh, you know we never profit from all the things that the government invents. Cuz our politicians, in my opinion, are totally corrupt. And so they go, oh yeah, let's take the taxpayer money and let's spend it on that and then let Google and Pfizer and etc. Make billions off of it.
1: Well, here's the way I'd put it, what the government is in the business of doing is creating public goods that everybody benefits from, right? So. Uh, the GPS satellite, everybody gets to use the GPS satellite constellation. Everybody gets to use the weather data that the federal government puts out. Uh, You know, It's not just hurricanes, literally every single forecast that you see originates from one of the National Weather Service research outposts that are across the country. And they provide that data to everybody for free. You go to weather.gov, you can either see a forecast for your area or you can download two terabytes of raw weather data and use it to start your own weather network, right? And that's good, and there are companies that have built businesses off of that data. That is also good, that's not necessarily a problem. The problem is when those companies then use that power to try to disembowel, to try to hurt the federal government, which for instance, AccuWeather is doing. As we cover on the show, the private weather company AccuWeather has lobbied the government to try to make it impossible for the National Weather Service to communicate with the public. So that they're the only ones who have access to all of that public Weather data. And that's really bad. But I don't think we need to say, hey, the government should profit necessarily. The government shouldn't be ripped off by the companies. The government shouldn't be undermined by the companies. But the government should be in the business of creating things that are public goods that all of us get to use that no one else can create, that no one else can do. You know, biomedical research is another one. The NIH, the world's largest funder of biomedical research, that's incredibly important and powerful. Now, I don't think that they should give licenses for that research to private companies so that they can use them exclusively. That's the kind of corruption you're talking about. Instead, they should open it up as a public good to everyone. And that is what the government on its best days does. And that's what only the government can do.
0: Yeah, and the problem with the government is the politicians.
1: <laughs> Everybody
0: else is mm-hmm. fine. Like all yeah. those workers inventing things like GPS and yeah. cures that save our lives. But then the corrupt politicians take that and then go, here, companies, you take it. No, we're not gonna charge you for it. Private banks, you're all bankrupt in 2008. We're gonna bail you out. And then when you're back to profitable, you don't owe us any money. Well, if a private institution bailed them out, they would own them. So that's a long story, and by the way, Obama did that wrong too. Now, look, obviously people are gonna say it's Obama's production company that you did this with, were you guys, it's called Higher, higher Ground, were you guys biased in favor mm-hmm. of him? So I know you did the segment on drone strikes, I'll I, I be honest, I haven't watched that one. So I'm curious what you covered in it, because there is a lot of criticism that you can give Obama for drone strikes.
1: Oh, Absolutely, and so look, this, this show came about because uh, Barack Obama's production company had licensed, uh, optioned uh, Michael Lewis's book, The Fifth Risk, which was a book I quite admired. They were looking for someone to make a television show based off of it. I said, hey, I have a pitch. Uh, what if I do it and they liked the idea. Now, I made really clear to them when we started that this show would have to be editorially independent from the Obama administration or from any part of his political operation. Because otherwise it wouldn't be credible to the audience. It would be clearly propaganda and they agreed and went along with that. And there were times I had to remind them of that over the course of the making of the show. But you know, the fact of the matter is we were granted editorial independence on this show. And for that reason, there are a lot of topics that we do on the show that are not not what Barack Obama might have written himself were he writing the scripts. And so specifically, yeah, we talk about the drone strike program, about how drone strikes rose tenfold under Barack Obama. And about how more importantly they served as a moral hazard that because it suddenly was possible to send a, you know, do an airborne attack mission overseas without risking an American life, we started ordering those more and more often. And the cost was thousands of civilian lives. Um, and you know, I know that Barack Obama does not agree with our segment, and uh, we did it anyway. So if that is uh, not proof that we had editorial independence, I don't know what is. Um, we also, there are other things that we, we talked about the neoliberal turn in, in healthcare and, and you know his emphasis on uh, uh, you know, solving healthcare via private businesses rather than through a public option. There's a couple of other examples throughout the show. We also had a somewhat prickly interview that I did with him uh, in episode six that, that I hope folks will check out because uh, uh, I'm quite proud that I, I feel I was able to sort of engage him in a real conversation rather than you know, the sort of uh, sound bites that we normally hear.
0: Yeah, they, look, the government does a lot of wonderful things. And, but like I said earlier, it also has politicians. So, uh, and Obama did a lot of uh, good things and he did a lot of bad things. Uh, and so mm-hmm. those drone strikes, not only did they go up by tenfold, but uh, he also killed American citizens and he killed American citizens mm-hmm. uh, without asking any judges. Uh, so that's an extrajudicial ju- mm-hmm. assassination of Americans. It was abhorrent mm-hmm. and yeah, he might have a different point mm-hmm. of view on it, but he's wrong. They shouldn't have done it, and it is really yeah. dangerous. And of course, Trump came in and said, thank you for opening the door. And then did a lot more yeah. bombings. Yeah. So I love that you kept it honest. And and I like that there's a show that actually explains what the government does. No one ever does that. So yeah. everybody check out the G word, it's on Netflix, Adam Conover. Thank you, brother, we appreciate it.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jenk. it
0: was a pleasure. Now let's talk to a boomer who might be too young. Wait, what? Bumara Boomer Vicente uh, is running for California State Assembly uh, in the 68th district. Uh, boomer, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me here. Uh, no problem, <laughs> Excited. brother. Excited. Uh, so, uh, why why do they call you Boomer?
2: So I received, I got that nickname when I was in third grade. <laughs> So I've had a nickname since I was a small kid. And one of my friends was just like, your first name is a, a bit too too hard to say. Um, and so she was kind of spelling it out like Bull. And so the first part of my name is like Bull. And so she decided to give me the nickname Boomer. Like I'm going to call you Boomer and I want to give you that nickname. And it stuck since third grade. <laughs> I've had it in middle school, high school, college and it kind of it's it's with me forever now.
0: <laughs> okay, I thought maybe you couldn't figure out internet memes, so that's how you got it. But okay. <laughs> um, so, how old are you?
2: I am 26 years old.
0: Okay, so state assembly—that's a big deal. Um, so, you know, some people they become lawyers, they become this, they become that, and then they get into politics. Boom! You're right in there. Oh, get it? Boom! Boomer, I get it. Um, <laughs> didn't even mean it. So, why run for office so young?
2: Yeah, well, I decided to run for office because I was really frustrated in who was currently representing us, and there was someone in seat, the seat—the former incumbent—that has been in the seat for ten years, but has been a long an elected official longer than I've been alive. And my district is one of the youngest Latino districts in the state of California. I'm from Santa Ana. You know, the average. Age and here in Santa Ana is around 28 years old. So it's a really young Latino city. And I think it really embodies in a sense of, of young representation. And I think definitely we need to have more young people run in politics, especially for state assemblies, like Senate seats. And really given what the district represents and you know who lives in the district, it it was time. It was definitely time for someone young to run for a seat like. State assembly here in, in my district.
0: A young Hispanic person running for a big seat at the age of 28 and winning. I mean, that's impossible. I mean, next thing you're going to tell me is somebody like Alexandria. Oh, right. Ocasio Cortez, right around your age, and went to Congress. Now, pulled off one of the most historic defeats in American history. Okay. When well, she took down the fourth biggest Democrat in Congress. But did you just say that Santa Ana's average age is 28?
2: Yeah, it's a really young city. Oh my God. What is going on?
0: Have the children taken over? Why is it so young?
2: <laughs> um, I think it's so young because it's a very large immigrant population. And there's a lot of young immigrants that came here in Santana. You know, my parents came here when they were around eighteen to twenty years old. So they came here just like a a whole group of other people. And I think it's just really the culture, it's the fact that it's a small immigrant population. And a lot of kids are the first gender, um like family to live here first generation. And I think it's just like, yeah, like that story of immigrants um, coming here so young and having young families and um, definitely played a large role in that.
0: Okay, now I know uh, Santa Ana opposite of Florida, they will not let you retire there, okay, <laughs> not allowed. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kidding, but that is amazing stat. Uh, so, okay, now let's talk policy. If you get elected, uh, California State Assembly. A lot of people have a misconception; they think it's uh, overwhelmingly Democratic, so it must be really progressive. Uh, is that true?
2: No, it's it's not true. Like, <laughs> you know, and you're like, you're right. California has a super Democratic majority, and we can't get things like singapore healthcare done you know our working class communities are still struggling to get by you know rents are increasing you know we're in a housing crisis and a lot of our communities a lot of our families are moving out of california and so there is this myth in a sense that california seems to be really progressive in a sense based on um the democrats but it's mostly democrats that are are in the way of blocking a lot of these progressive reforms like singapore healthcare and affordable housing
0: yeah, my favorite uh, quote by California came from another uh, progressive Eric Olson who was running for um, assembly as well uh, in a different district. And he said, we have a supermajority. who are we negotiating with? Um, we're not negotiating yeah. with the Republicans, we're negotiating with our donors. And that's exactly what happens. So then tell me about your incumbent. Um, I think he's a bit of a mixed bag, but what are his downsides? What made you go, I got to run against this guy?
2: Yeah, so the incumbent in this race who I will explain later who actually dropped is is out of the race. Um, He is someone that that really represents what a corporate democrat is. He receives a lot of big money from police associations, pharmaceutical companies. Uh, realtors, um, big oil, all these kind of special interests that have been in the way of 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 killing progressive reform. And one thing that was really upsetting was he represents, as I mentioned, like one of the youngest Latino districts in the state of California. But he's abstained and shied away on some of the most progressive bills when it comes here in the state legislature. And This past year, well, these past two years in the midst of COVID, in the midst of the pandemic, he was one of the state legislatures that actually went on a lobby trip visit to Hawaii with big money while his communities were literally dying. And Santana and Anaheim and his district were the most impacted cities in all of Orange County. You know, we saw our communities being neglected. We did not receive vaccines in the beginning. We had to demand vaccines that were rolling through South OC, but not to cities like Santa and Anaheim. And so the incumbent has just been a very huge disgrace towards our community and who he represents. And it was time that someone really challenged him. I was his first, Democratic challenger in ten years. The first time that he actually received another Democratic challenger was in 2012, um, in which there was a a jungle primary, and surprisingly enough, the incumbent actually ended up dropping out of the race a day before the filing deadline, and so that changed a lot um, for what this race is. You know, we're no longer facing an incumbent, but we are facing his successor and his right hand man that entered the race. Hours after he announces his, his, um, his dropping. Oh, is that right? So, t- Daly's not in the race anymore?
0: Nope. Daly's not in the race anymore. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay, then you got an yeah. awesome shot. Because incumbents have a lot more power and, and money, et cetera, and they can use the machine against you. And yeah, usually they anoint someone and they go, This will be your new assemblyman. And that works for a lot of Democrats. Democrats love to obey. I mean I hate it but it's true for a lot of democratic voters. Republican voters generally don't obey, but democratic voters are like, "Oh, who does the machine pick? I will now vote with the machine because that is what the LA Times told me." but but hey, look, if you got an average age of 28, now the guy has no name recognition. Boomers 100% in the ball game. vicenteforassembly.com, <laughs> vicenteforassembly.com. And it'd be great to have young progressives in. So, and by the way, about the old incumbent he bragged about he had one good vote on police reform. I give him that, but he I, here's a telltale sign that somebody's a, a corporate Democrat. He bragged about transportation and veterans. That's like the safest topics ever. That means he's not doing anything. Like you know, when you, when you have incumbents that, that talk about like, oh, I love puppies and veterans, you're like, okay, I got it. You're not doing anything. You're just taking corporate cash, right? So uh, if somebody if he handpicked the successor on that fact alone, I'm against them. Okay, (laughs) vote for Boomer. Uh, So, Boomer, how about you? What are your top policy positions?
2: Yeah, my first top top policy is helping pass Singapore Healthcare here in California. You know, uh, Singapore Healthcare has been in the fight for so many years here, and COVID just really exacerbated the healthcare system. That our healthcare system is really broken here in California, and there's millions of people that don't have access to healthcare insurance. And so I really want to make sure that we pass single health healthcare here in the state legislature. It was actually brought up this past year, but by assembly member Ashkara. And unfortunately, there wasn't even a vote on it. And it was a way, it was a tactic to really shield Democrats um, from receiving the endorsements from the party. And so they didn't want to out who the Democrats were that were against single-payer healthcare, and so my one of my big priorities is to make sure I help champion that and just making sure that's passed. Um, we did not see any legislature here in Orange County at all that was an ally towards single-payer healthcare. Yeah, and so for me, that's really one of my big priorities is making sure that health that we pass a single health healthcare system here in the state of California.
0: Yeah, for the audience out there. Look, this is why we need young progressives, because um, Democratic leadership is full of crap everywhere, and certainly true in California. So they got a super majority, they say, oh, we can pass anything we want. Everybody wants single payer in California, certainly the voters do, there's no question about it. Overwhelmingly popular among Democratic voters, uh, and overall for California voters. And then uh, they got in the pile and they're like, oh, just kidding, uh, we're not gonna do it. And yeah, and they, and yeah one of the leaders um wouldn't put it up for a vote because he wanted to shield the other corrupt corporate democrats. Uh, exactly. And the reason why corporate democrats fight so hard against uh, young progressives like uh, a boomer is because they're not corrupted and they hate that. It drives them nuts, right? Yeah. So um, that, that could make a big, big difference. Uh, so uh, well, how about uh, another position? What's your second priority?
2: Yeah, one of my second, Big policy priorities is affordable housing. Um, I was a huge advocate towards rent control here in Santa Ana. Santa Ana became the first city here in Orange County past rent control. And it was largely due to a lot of community groups and organizations and tenants to help pass that. And in the state of California, rents are increasing. And there's been a huge effort to repeal the Costa Hawkings Act, which basically would help expand rent controls towards towards properties. Um, built after 1994, it will apply to single family homes, mobile homes. And it's a big issue that's been largely impacting our local residents in which we've seen mobile home residents. protests and take action and want rent control when it comes to like mobile homes. And so I really want to make sure that we create affordable housing policies and that we expand rent control because it's getting really difficult to continue living here. As I mentioned previously, a lot of families are moving to Texas, a lot of families move to Arizona because just it's 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 becoming really just like very dis- very difficult to live here in California yeah. due to the high rents of cost.
0: So, Boomer, one last quick question here. I don't get it. Uh, The number one donors in California are real estate interests. How are you going to take all their cash if you're for rent control? I'm not. Oh, (laughs) look at that. That's what progressives do. Okay, I love it. Vicente for assembly.com, Vicente for assembly.com, Boomer, Boomer, Vicente, thank you for joining us. And thank you for running and being involved in the process and for having faith and hope in it and and for chasing out an incumbent. So that's a lot of wins for you already, thank you.
1: Thank you for having me, no appreciate problem. it.